Hi, everyone. You're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello, everyone. And again, we are here with Move the Dial. We're super excited to be at the summit and have another mini-sode to show you. And in this one, we are featuring Eva Lau. She is the co-founder of Two Small Fish Ventures. So thank you so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Hello, everyone. Super exciting to get to speak to you. Um, you are an inspiration to us in the tech community, of course. Oh, thank you. I'm flattered. Um, so we would really like to talk to you about why you started um, Two Small Fish Ventures and what exactly is the focus of that VC firm? Absolutely. Um, so um, my background has always been in tech. Um, I myself, um, and I am an engineer um, and I've always been in tech even during the early 90s and then during the dark home days. I work at software company, hardware companies, and uh, I even worked at an incubator as a director of product development and uh, helping startups to get to the next level. So some of them, they may need a VP of engineering to build the engineering team. And in some companies, they may need to uh, have a person to basically brainstorm with them what, how should the version one or, or what I call version zero look like. So um, throughout my career, um, I had the opportunity to always work with my husband, Alan. So when he started Wattpad, um, I didn't necessarily believe in the, <laughs> in the company because at the time the technology was not um, have you know have that environment to enable online sh uh, sharing of of stories. So and um, they struggled for quite a few years um, from 2006 and I would say early 2009. Uh, but finally, when data access, uh, Wi-Fi connections, and mobile phones with the larger screen became kind of like the, the standard of how people uh, use mobile computing at a time. Um, we finally saw the uptake of you know, Wattpad traffic. So that's when I joined them. And uh, in hindsight, without a blueprint of how to build a network effect-based company or what you know nowadays some, you know, sometimes people call like a social media, a social network, um, Alan and, and his co-founder Ivan, along with me, uh, built one massively here locally in Canada. So later on when Alan uh, raised Series A, I was there to, you know, from Union Square, I was there to help him. Um, and then later on he raised Series B from Coastal Adventures. And uh, at the time, um, he raised the largest Series B that a, a Silicon Valley VC invested in a Canadian company in the post.com days. So I said to him, I said, we now have the funding that we need to grow and scale the company properly. While we were entertaining and nurturing tens of millions of teenagers online, the two very most important teenagers in our lives were not necessarily getting the fair share of their parents' time. Maybe I should actually take a year off and figure out what I want to do um, because he can have all the professional hires that he need uh, to, to scale and grow the company. But you can't replace a mother you know, at home. So I took a year off. I just kind of felt this conviction that we don't necessarily have a lot of um, operators or entrepreneurs turned investors in the Canadian ecosystem that have built massive internet scale type success. Certainly we have 
a lot of entrepreneurs turn investors. Um, th- they probably have built massive uh, software companies before. You know, Bryce Bark Venture, one of the company that I, I worked at with, at, you know, during the early days, they were started by by entrepreneurs who've built successful software companies. And we certainly have uh, funds that are backed by people. Maybe they have they were from the BlackBerry and a Nortel and a Newbridge time. But if we look at the Valley, they have a lot of uh, early stage employees of Google, Facebook, um, Airbnb, um, Yahoo, that they, they are recycling not only the capital, but their knowledge of how did they build those companies. So that's why the PayPal Mafia, you know, is very world famous. <laughs> you know, they all know about, you know, all those people who have been there and done that. We don't necessarily have that kind of entrepreneurs turn into investors yet because we, we we have a group of them, you know, really building awesome companies. But they're very hard working on their own companies. You know, Mike Ketchum of Well Simple, Mike McDermott of FreshBooks, and certainly many of them. And I said to myself, while they are building all these massive internet companies very busily, I am available. So why don't I make myself available in the beginning as an angel investor, recycle my knowledge and my, you know, not ginormously abundant size of a capital and uh, support the ecosystem through, you know, the two small fish ventures, which founded by myself and my husband as an angel investment vehicle so that we can... Um, back the founders that we believe in, back the product ideas that we think it's it's going to be a, a, an opportunity to become a ginormous success and uh, recycle my knowledge and our capital in that way. Awesome. And yeah, hearing from your so- story, timing seems to be very important for any startup. As a VC, how do you evaluate if a company's timing is correct or if their technology is a little bit too far advanced for where we are right now? I think, you know, for any investment, or I should say for any startups, let me frame it this way. Any startups, they should be able to find an investor. But that kind of a fit actually has a, many, many parameters around it to, to make that relationship successful. So um, let me perhaps take Wattpad as an example. So when Alan and Ivan started a company in 2006, um, I was the first investor, <laughs> not in, in, in capital way, but I bet my whole family on it, right? And so did Ivan's family. And um, at the time, we didn't have much traction. You know, we have an app that works on feature phones, and we have a website that allows people to share share. I don't even know if they are story, you know, stories, but they share some kind of written words on the, on the, on the platform so that they can read mobilely. At the time... You know, we could have raised a family's friends and family round, uh, but that's not necessarily, you know, essential. It, depending on how much you are willing to bootstrap, you know, Alan and Ivan, they were still working part-time or they were, you know, taking some contracts and that's how they kind of have the capital. It's not until we have meaningful traction, meaning that we actually show people that we are actually changing people's behavior. That, however small, but these behavior once change, is here to stay. That's when we raise our, our seed round. And at the time, it was actually the angel investor that we know very well. They, you know, he had, um, you know, he has been our friends for a long time. And he said, "Hey, look, you guys seem to be, you know, building a very interesting company here." And and it and 
And Alan said, yeah, you know, we are seeing, you know, people are doing this. You know, we never imagined people actually did that. I think about it this way. Everyone would say, why would someone write a book and share it free on online, <laughs> you know? But we, we actually, you know, saw tens of thousands of people are doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's, it's a very different behavior than how the traditional industry has, you know, has been working. You have to find the people that actually believe in what you're doing. And if you are looking for VC money specifically, then you really need to think about, are you seeing some sort of change in behavior that are here to stay before you talk to a VC? Because VC, you know, they are not necessarily thinking about, oh, you know, I put in, um, you know, one million in this three million dollar company and let's exit it in, you know, in the next round and sell it for ten million dollars. Like VC don't think that way. But angels may be thinking that way. Friends and family will be very happy with that kind of an outcome. But VC certainly aren't. And if that's the case, then you really need to know about what the VCs are looking for and find that match. Very cool. And what exactly are you looking for in a founder? Well, I look for founders in 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 multiple dimension. Uh, first of all, I think it it goes without saying is competency. You know, um, it competence can 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 be measured in in multiple ways. First of all, um, do they have enough grit? You know, have they actually been in this business long enough to show that they are here in an all in? Think about it this way, if you just started for two months and you're like, you know what, I, I want to make sure that people are funding me to get started, then you don't necessarily have enough skin in the game. Why would I want to put my money in, in, in your venture? So grit is very important and showing that they have that kind of grit. Coachability is also very important. Um, I don't necessarily mean that uh, founders has to take all the advice you know, from, from VCs or from investors because they, we could be wrong, right? What, what we need to, you know, after, at the end of the day, we do our research, we try to understand your vision, but you are the one who actually run the company. But at the same time, uh, coachability, it's also a reflection of sometimes you have a ginormous blind spot that you just you just can't see. Mm-hmm. And when we try to point out to you and, and, and you become defensive, then, then it's no fun. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, we try to make you better. Um, and obviously you have to communicate to us so to make us better understand why you are in that position. But at the end of the day, it's a collaboration. It's a, it's a mutual respect and um, coachability is very important. Then the last thing that I, I look for, you know, certainly, you know, as I say, grit, that it's time to, you know, the competence um, and then uh, coachability. I think, you know, one thing that I, I, I look for um, in, you can say in the founder, but you can also say it's in a company, is how big that dream is. Because VC look for companies that has big dreams. You know, if it is just, I'm selling five, you know, to five customers right now, and in 10 years, hopefully I achieve 5,000 users. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, thousand X, you know, in terms of growth, but it may not necessarily be an ambitious enough type of a vision to attract VC. Because VC, you know, we have our own risk portfolio, we have our own fund mechanics, and, uh, you know, that vision has to work in our framework. If somebody, um, like, let's say either they're reaching out to you and sending a pitch deck or they're doing a presentation, what are some things that really stand out to you that make you remember uh, that company or that investor as really memorable? First of all, um, this is a trick that I think a lot of um, founders may not necessarily 
I know about. And they always think that I need to have um, a VC or an investor invest, uh, I mean, not only invested in me, but refer me to another VC. But in reality, I respect a lot of the referrals from other founders. Because think about it, if another founder are willing to spend an hour talking to you, understand your business, loving it, and even spending the time to write me an email and say, hey, Eva, I met with this founder. Awesome idea. Take a look. I will respect that very, very much. Funny enough, in the last, I would say, three months, I have at least two uh, ventures came to me. They were referred to me by at least two other founders in the ecosystem. I'm like, okay, it looks like I better talk to them because, you know, so-and-so is telling me about them and -and so-and-so is telling me about them. I should talk to them. So it may end up not necessarily in my wheelhouse or maybe it's too early or maybe it's too late, you know, for whatever reason that I may not necessarily invest in them. But just because that they they are people talking about them, willing to walk that extra mile to make that introduction, that certainly leave a very lasting impression. That's great advice. I really like that. And how is it, of course, running um, a venture capital firm alongside your husband? Do you guys agree on the types of companies that you invest in? Do you both have different ideas of what type of portfolio to have? Well, see, uh, when when I was an angel investor, then certainly I have to respect uh, his opinion because you know our our money is our money, so it, it, it's an equal partnership. So uh, we have. Uh, I wouldn't say policy, but a habit of a unanimous agreement. But as I grow the business, I um, you know, now become a, a, a GP in a fund. I raise my own venture fund. Um, certainly, I cannot have that process in place because he is not running the fund. You know, he just you know, co-founded it at the very beginning, but he has his own ver- business to run and he's very busy. But I think, you know, um, for me and Alan, we have... We, we met when we were in university, so it's been many, many years. And we know um, our, our blind spots very well. And um, so he, he will continue to be my sounding board. And um, I respect his opinion. But at the end of the day, it's a risk that I have to do on behalf of my investors, mm-hmm. knowing that this is something that... Um, I am now manage, managing other people's money, and I have to make sure that the opportunity that I'm investing in has, they do actually have the potential to become, you know, a 10x, 100x, or maybe, you know, multi 100x type return. For sure. And how do you manage uh, diversity and inclusion within your portfolio? I have a focus in, you know, investing companies that have a very strong network effect. So uh, by definition, you know, the more usage of the platform, the platform itself becomes ginormously more valuable. So in order to do that, you basically have to have, you know, many different people, type of people with different walks of life, different culture to actually use that platform in order to have that kind of ginormous effect. Like if Facebook, it's only a Harvard tool, it certainly it's not going to be what it is today right so same thing for google if it can only do a good job of searching website that's in north america then you know no one will be using it in asia right so what that means is the product itself has to practically work for everyone so that is the type of opportunities i look for and i truly believe that you know a diverse team will have a better you know you know strength and 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 um, willingness to create a product that works for everyone uh, having said that, I, I look for a team that has that kind of DNA, and uh, they may come in different form. It could be just immigrants coming from 
you know, different cultural background, um, or they, you know, they may be, you know, North American, but they have lived many years, or they travel a lot, and, and they kind of understand that, or maybe they actually have a team that's very diverse, you know, from software engineers to marketing people. And I look for that kind of DNA in the company, you know, to, to make me feel comfortable that the team actually know how to make product that works for everyone. Um, why do you feel it's important to be part of Move the Dial? Move the Dial is extremely important in the, in the dialogue um, of making a more diverse tech ecosystem. And um, I remember when I graduated from engineering school, I, I was probably one of the 10, maybe 20% of the graduating class in engineering school as a woman. And um, we, you know, you know, off the top of my head, I may not necessarily be able to give you a, a good example of how products are being built supposedly for women, but it, it's actually designed by men and women had to kind of like struggle <laughs> with the usage of the product. Like, you know, I'm sure that a lot of people who study in that field can give you 10 examples of that. But, but I think one example that I would say is that, you know, if we look at Wattpad, uh, founded by two uh, men, Asian background. Um, during the early days when the most important demographics uh, on the ecosystem, uh, on our platform were actually teenage girls. From, for them to have me as the face of the community to interact with these users certainly is a lot easier. Have that ability to talk and, and respond in, in a different way is certainly, I, I believe, have played an important role in, in the success of Wattpad. So having witnessed that myself, I think we need to encourage more women to come into the STEM field, to be leaders in a field so that everyone can think about building product that works for everyone. So, and I specifically love Move the Dial because it's not only women uh, getting, you know, getting more women in STEM. We're not talking about in inclusion. We talk about, you know, you know, diversity. Um, there are many, you know, niche communities. They need to be included in the conversations. And, um, you know, one example that's, you know, very interesting is there were writers writing uh, uh, love stories for the black community. But when you look at mainstream, it's like a niche genre that they don't necessarily get picked up by publishers very often. They will be all lumped into kind of like a niche category. But for us, we, we celebrate that, right? So then people, when they come onto our platform, they felt belong, they felt accepted. And that's why we have a very diverse catalog of stories and, and genre. And I think, you know, using that as an example, it's the same thing for any, for any tech companies. You know, if you want the product to be used by many, many, many people, you need, we need to take care of, of, of those min, uh, minorities, communities, but you need the representation of those people to come on. There was another uh, company. It's a very, very early stage. You know, I, without disclosing who they are, you know, they're basically building another social network, uh, but for, the, uh, for, for school. You know, for universities, so they, you know, they pitched to me. Da 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 da. I'm like, oh, good, good, good. And it, it, it's actually quite a neat idea. But then very quickly, I say, how do you deal with tox, you know, toxicity, in the in the in the social network? The founder looked at me. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? What do I mean? <laughs> you know, I said, you know, you're building a social network. There must be, you know, we, when we're talking about human relationship, it's all about. Uh, uh, emotions and and connections like what if you know what what is the product doing to prevent that negativity being built up mm -hmm. around a person and um, 
and to them it's kind of like eye-opening they said I never ex- you know expect that I and yes you know you can say that it's about managing people's expectation but now let's talk about metrics that it's gonna affect your metrics big time no yeah you definitely have to consider all the different personality types that are going to interact exactly. with your social platform exactly awesome but i'm excited to hear more about that company <laughs> great well thank you so much for doing this we went a bit over the time um, but we had such a great time speaking to you and thank you for investing in the toronto community it's, thank you it's i'm, great I'm to glad that. to be here and i'm glad that i have the privilege to support the ecosystem here in toronto yeah that's great thank awesome. you yeah thank you so much for thank speaking you. with us We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. We are so excited to share more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.